Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp, where we give you bad advice on good things. I'm Ryan John. I'm Brandon Draper. <laughs> I'm Joe Santarpia. What you don't you don't think we give bad advice? You think we give good advice? I I just don't know if it's necessarily on good things. You know. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We give good advice on bad things. Is that a better way to say it? I was just going to say bad advice on bad things. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that too. Full Megatron. Uh, t- today we're going to talk about the remainder of building a front of house mix and honestly some of this is probably relevant for building a monitor mix too it's just that we kind of left it out of that episode because uh, i don't care about monitor mixers <laughs> no one, no one does <laughs> not true not true uh we're going to talk about time-based effects reverbs delays modulation we're also going to talk about grouping versus vcas when you use one versus the other so uh let's jump right into it yeah all right we'll start with the uh, time-based effects um what we're talking about is uh, any sort of effect that, you know, we've gone over EQ and compression and all that, um, but time-based effect is uh, where you take kind of like a duplicate of the effect or a number of duplicates of the effect and uh, use that to <clears throat> uh, do certain things. Um, and, you know, it kind of like goes down the line if you have, if, if uh, the the duplicate signal occurs at this interval past the source, you know, from this interval to this interval, it's modulation. You go a little bit further past the original, it gets into reverb territory, go a little bit further and it gets into delay territory. Um, you want to start with the reverbs, I guess though, cause that's probably the most common. Um, yeah. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. That probably is the most common. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess the gist of time-based effects as a whole is that we've taken a copy of the signal, added some amount of time to it and merged it with the original with some sort of intent, right? Exactly. So in the case of reverb, what a reverb is, and we'll talk about this in the, in the context of an actual room, reverb is the sound reflecting around the room and getting back to where, you know, I guess your listening point is or your microphone is. So all of those reflections combined to create the reverb. So it might be one reflection off the floor, one reflection off the closest wall, one reflection off the farthest wall. And then uh, that farthest wall then reflects off the next wall and comes back. And then it continues around as they reflect around the room. So this is just many duplicates of the source kind of bouncing back into the microphone at different levels. And of course, what they bounce off of affect the tonality of it. So if it's you know a, a, you know, a drywall, Drywall is not going to reflect back the top end the same way, let's say, glass might. So in a real scenario, that's how you define a reverb. In a digital scenario, it's just an emulation of that, wherein all those reflections are emulated and a tonality and level change is applied to each of these reflections in order to emulate various different room types or hall types or things like plates and stuff. So I guess... Eloquent. We should probably jump into what the we should probably jump into what the types of reverbs are. Right? We didn't even put this in our notes, but <laughs> right, right. there's a bunch of types, yeah, right? We yeah, plates. I guess the common yeah the common ones are what uh, room, hall, uh, plates, and the nonlinear ones, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Is there more? That's than a good, I mean, that's I a good there's start. This spring reverbs. There's a couple Springs, others, but yeah. I think those are yeah. those are kind of the important ones, right? Yeah. So a room reverb typically emulates. A room. That one seems super surprising <laughs> to me. Uh, so they, they're typically pretty short. Um, I don't know. What are, what are some of the attributes you guys would say for a room reverb? They sound, they sound more natural than the other ones, usually. It's, it sounds like they're more subtle, I would say. Totally. throw them yeah. on something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. So uh, a hall. A hall 
it's I, I never really think of it as yeah, it's kind of like a bigger room, <laughs> but I never really think of it as like literally a hallway. I mm. always think of it as like kind of concert hall. Yeah, totally. I think that's um, I think that's probably the intention of yeah. what they're saying. Yeah. But but just, you know, for clarity, don't think of like, you know, the hallway in your apartment building and try to emulate that. That's not it. Right. Um, Unless you have a really big but, house with like a tile floor and like wood ceiling and all this, you know, nice stuff. Basically, if you're a millionaire, yeah, it might be your hallway. It might be your yeah. hallway. Um, a millionaire's so hallway. That's a good preset. That actually. is good. <laughs> oh my God. I might have to save that. <laughs> a millionaire's hallway. <laughs> I like that. And then, then the even bigger one's going to be billionaire's the hallway. Billionaire's hallway. Oh shit. Yeah. Longer reverb time. Bezos so, hall. <laughs> Bezos hall. <laughs> that's probably going to be a real thing at some point, oh, man. man. Someone's going to take the impulse response from it. So halls typically, uh, by default, have a longer reverb time. They're typically a little bit brighter. They are more noticeable in a mix for the most part. Um, what else? What else would you guys throw about halls? Um, very eighties, eighties sound. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They can be, yeah, yeah, depending on the context of how you're using them. Yeah, yeah. Trippy, Brendan. Brendan, anything to throw in there? Yeah, I'd say they're just more notice. It's like a room, but more noticeable. I don't know. That's what they say. For, like for the me. most, for the most Longer part, you're tail. not going to get away. Yeah, but for the most part, you're not going to get away with putting a hall on something and having it be so subtle that you can't tell it's there. Yeah, mm-hmm. for the most part. All right. So next, we got plates, and plates emulate literally these giant metal plates where they reverberate sound into, and it kind of bounces through this metal plate. Plates to me are astoundingly audible, meaning you're never going to be able to tuck a plate in and hide it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a audible reverb. Like the intent for using a plate, in my opinion, is going to be when you want a reverb to be heard for sure, as it you know, as a discrete sound. Uh, you guys agree there? Yeah. yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. I tend to find them very dense too. Uh, yeah, yeah, rich. You know. Mm-hmm. Is, is a word maybe I'd use? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a way, a plate is kind of like trying to emulate a room or a hall, but it's doing it with this like crazy metal contraption, you know? Yeah, I, um, I, I think it gives things more of a hyper-realistic vibe, I guess. Like if you throw that on a vocal, it's like, oh, wow, there's something different about this. Like maybe you don't think like, oh, this sounds like a giant room, but you you say like, oh, this has an interesting ambience right. to it, you know? it's It's not trying to, well... I guess these days, you're not typically trying to emulate something natural by using a plate. You're really using it as an actual effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess the last one is, you know, nonlinear verbs, things like ambience verbs and stuff like that. Um, they're complicated because they don't, they often don't have a, you know, even decay. So what you're going to use them for is... Uh, and I don't even... Yeah, they, I, I do use them on drums a lot, but ultimately, it's not the same kind of decay sound. It's something you just you're just going to need to play with and figure sometimes, out. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it increases, right? It goes up, yeah, rather than sometimes it goes up rather than down, down yeah. in level. And they're 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 weird. So let's say if you're starting out here, skip over those ones, <laughs> skip them for now, <laughs> or just throw them on your drums and see what happens. All right, all right, just do that. Put them put them on do that stun. Turn them all the way Procasti, up. Procasti M seven. Go for it. Ooh. Ah, oh, you just you just the mentioned big dog. my favorite reverb. I, I just got happy. It's the best yeah. One. <laughs> all right. So um, let's talk about rooms. Um, sources you use them on. Uh, for me, 
I'll typically use a room if I want to make something sound more natural, if it somehow sounds a bit artificial to me. So things like DI guitars, um, maybe DI keyboards, uh, a lot of DI'd instruments that don't have any sort of actual ambience in the sound, I'll put a room on. Also, I don't think the sound of a person speaking into a microphone from one inch away sounds particularly natural. So vocals, I almost always put a bit of room on. Mm -hmm. How about yourself, Brendan? What do you, what do you put rooms on? Yeah, I find myself putting it on vocals when it calls for it. Like if it's not, you know, a big song, you know, if it's meant to be like kind of a more intimate vibe for the song, then I'll throw it on there. Um, let's see. Yeah, I guess I throw it on keyboards sometimes. Um, I don't find myself putting on guitars that much, but yeah, mm-hmm. keyboards and vocals usually. Joe? Um, yeah, like, you know, if you have like a a dead drum sound and you don't want it to be like, like you said, like an audible reverb and you just want to give it some, some natural ambiance, you know, it's great for that. Um, if you have a mono source and you want to spread it out a little bit again, without that's like, a good one. Yeah. Ha- having like a, a big reverb effect, you know, like a mono mono keyboard, just like chuck it in a room. And then all of a sudden it's like a little bit wider. Um, and then, uh, you know, yeah. DI acoustic guitar. Great for mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. For for the most part, you're not really going to put this on there to make it sound reverby, but you're going to put it on there to give it space or width or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, how about halls? I mean, Joe, what do you use a hall on? I I like a hall on a vocal sometimes. You know, um, yeah, it's nice if it's like a uh, or like a a dreamier synth patch um, that mm-hmm. just you know that isn't quite filling filling out as much as it it needs to um stuff like that or or like you know like i said like a you know gated 80s hall sound you know yeah that makes sense brendan yeah i'll go for it on vocals for sure sometimes and uh yeah drums every once in a while maybe on like the snare um yeah effect an effect you know yeah if you want it to be kind of big or you could like kind of ride the the effects send to the snare so like turn it down sometimes and then bring it out on like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. every other one or whatever you know that kind of mm-hmm. thing that is a lot of riding up and down if you're going to bring it out <laughs> on every other snare hit man that's a full-time job i'll hire an assistant to do just that snare send up snare send down snare send up <laughs> that's more of an at home god but you know every if you're doing a live show and you just want apparently like, he gets bored at home yeah. <laughs> No, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I, I I think I'm in about the same boat as you guys for for Hall. You know, I'll, I'll put it on a vocal if I want the vocal to have length to it and kind of smoothness to it, um, especially in songs like ballads and things like that, where you want them to just feel more legato in general. Long hauls, um, sometimes snare drums, exactly as you guys just said. Uh, every once in a while, I'll put it on other stuff. Just like Joe said, sometimes I'll put it on keyboards too if I want them to feel kind of cloudy floaty or you know more legato um is there a particular amount of reverb time that you guys find works for various settings like like settings meaning um you know instruments and and feel Hmm. uh well first thing i'll say you know start start with the drums you know obviously if you're going to be using a lot of this stuff um a shorter time for drums is going to work to your advantage especially especially in live um because things t- things tend to get cloudy with a lot of, especially if the playing is busy, a lot of you know, uh, 
a a, lo- a large hall on a drum kit you know if if the signal is hot on going to that reverb then it's it's going to cloud it's going to cloud it up you know you got to be careful with that so yeah. drums maybe a shorter time and and maybe busier things in general maybe gravitate you know try to get it on the shorter end well, what is a shorter time? I mean, I like, what does that mean to you? Like, let's say on a snare that is not like a ballady snare. Uh, yeah. Around, you know, in the ballpark of one to 1.5 seconds, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Brendan, you feel roughly the same? I usually, if, if I'm think if I'm thinking shorter, I usually think more around like 0. 0.5 to like wow. 0. 0.8. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I want a little longer, usually I'm going like 1.5 to like 2, 7. Mm-hmm. Like if I want mm-hmm. like a longer vocal verb. You want to hear the tail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with like some pre-delay, like, I don't know, 30 milliseconds of pre-delay or something like that. Well, l- let's jump into pre-delay after we get through the three, you know, the, yeah. the remaining types. Sure. But I, I guess I'm in a similar boat. For me, for drums, I'm usually sub one second. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, 900 milliseconds, 800 milliseconds, something like that. Um, but, you know, as you said, when I get into longer stuff, things like vocals, where you want to hear it, um, somewhere between one and a half and three seconds is usually my decay time. I'm weird, and I like doing my reverbs in time with the song. So mm. if I have the ability to do that, I absolutely do do that. And I'll make it so that my snare reverb decays on a quarter note or on a half note, because then it kind of creates a breathing that kind of you know moves up and down in time with the song. Mm-hmm. But that takes a ton of time and effort to dial that in, especially since it's going to be different on every song. It's it's a pain in the yeah. ass. Uh, I do have a plug for an app that helps with that. It's called Music Math. Have you guys used that? Mm-mm. It's it's the uh, converts tempo and beats into milliseconds, yeah. right? For all the different yeah. time breakdowns, like quarter note, sixteenth note. So, and it tells it tells you the mod the hertz, like the modulation value oh, as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a tap? Yeah, pretty cool. I've, yeah, I've there's seen a, that there's a tap. I think there's a tap. Or you just type it in. I don't know. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. They, there are even calculators on Google. You can type in like a, I think it's a, a tempo to to milliseconds calculator or something like that, and you'll find them. You can type in 120 BPM half note, and it'll tell you how many milliseconds it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I realize that that's a pretty extreme workflow because you need to have time. You need to know all the songs. You need to be able yeah. to dial this in. You're you're talking snapshots. That's complicated stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's move on. Plates. Uh, Brendan, where do you use plate reverbs? Usually vocals. I mean, that's yeah. the, prim- okay. the primary one. Maybe. And, and why? When would you use it? I mean, just if it's like a bigger, like if it's like a lot of instrumentation, you know, I think the plate mm-hmm. helps cut through the mix. Like if you want to give the, the vocals some like real effects sounding, like a kind of, not a, unnatural, but like, a bigger sound when there's a lot of like drums and guitar and all that stuff. I, I feel like it helps bring the vocal out a bit. I'd call it supernatural. Supernatural. Not yeah. <laughs> supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really find myself, I usually throw it on vocals. Like I don't really find myself us, in live situations using it on too much else. That's kind of my go-to like on the, mm-hmm. on the M32. I like the rich vocal plate. Rich vocal plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's an old SPX 90 clone, huh? Probably. <laughs> Joe, Joe, are you in the same boat? Yeah, vocals to start for sure. Um, and, you know, g- going between like similar decay time plate versus hall or versus room, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the live scenario and, and 
again, then the bigger, the bigger the room, the more it's affected. Like there's so much going on. It's really hard to have like hard rules about certain stuff. And, right, it, and, of it, course. and it comes down to listening. So like, if like, if the room ain't cutting it, you know, I'll switch to a plate. If it pops, then that's what I'm going to use. If it is worse, then I'll go back to the room, you know? And a lot of times it's experimentation with the stuff, especially starting out too. Cause it's like, Again, you know, in the live scenario, you're hearing so many reflections and, you know, what's the room and what's coming off the PA, what, what's right. where. It's like, just fucking listen to it and see what's better, honestly. <laughs> but, but the general gist, though, is plates, we, I think we all use if we want the reverb to be more audible, right? Absolutely, yeah. 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 So I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as both of you guys. You know, uh, I'll use it on a vocal too. I'll use it very specifically if I want the verb to be really audible. Mm-hmm. Like if I know that this song needs to have the vibe of a big verb and not like a natural, like smoothing out the vocal verb, but one that you hear as a decay, I'll totally use a plate there. Yeah. And I use it a ton on snare drums. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is basically my snare drum reverb is yeah, a plate cool. because I want it to be super noticeable. I want it to be super short. And very often I'll use it on uh, toms as well. And I'll use it just for certain parts of certain songs just to make these giant, you know, kind of 80 sounding big toms. Mm-hmm. Nice. So again, we'll skip over the nonlinear verbs because they are kind of a, a rabbit hole in themselves. And it's not really something that I feel like... Um, we should talk about unless someone had tons of time to just sit and play with them and they're all also so different so let's jump into what is pre-delay yeah and i mean the basic definition of pre-delay is it is an amount of time before the reverb actually puts out the first reflection of the reverb Mm -hmm. so in general pre-delay is used so that the reverb isn't sitting all over your source So if you've got your source signal and immediately after that, like immediately you've got reflections of it being played back, it can make your source sound unclear and messy. So the general use of pre-delay is to add this little bit of time where your source gets to be on its own and then you get all these early reflections in the rest of the room. And honestly, in a real room, pre-delay exists as well because it takes time for your sound to reach a wall and bounce back and hit you know, that same microphone. Mm-hmm. So this is a control that we are given to you know, kind of emulate that and give some clarity. Joe, I mean, pre-delay for you, um, let's say on a vocal... Is, is there a typical number you start at or how do you use it? It's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely important for a vocal, um, you know, maybe start, uh, this is tough to say too, again, so many factors. It's, it's one variable. of those things that like you, you know, re- it's different all the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, f- you know, 47 milliseconds or so and sweep around maybe from there. Um, and uh, you know, we'll get into more of this later, but there's also like the kind of compressing the return to emulate pre-delay in a certain way you know yeah started around 40 seconds 47 seconds for a vocal sweep around from there milliseconds yeah milliseconds sorry um sweep around from there definitely i i I feel like that this conversation is sort of made for vocals you know it's because that's where it's gonna affect you the most and you know it'll be the biggest difference of like you know sounding like a big, expensive, beautiful reverb versus like uh, this is like some this is some toy. You know, you can make a toy sound right. big and expensive by nailing that pre-delay time and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, among other things. So, so for you, Joe, when do you push it up and when do you pull it down? Like, what are you what are you looking for when you go higher with your pre-delay? Um, it's like you're saying, I'm looking for it to be audible but not step on the vocal. 
And okay. when I feel like I can, you know, when I feel like the dry vocal is popping and the reverb is like sitting in nicely with it, um, that's when, you know, that's when I feel like I've got it. You've gone too far if it's if it's a you're, note, you're kind if, of if, if it's a noticeable delay if you're like if you're, you're if you're basically you're making it a, a delay. balance yeah you're yeah. looking for a balance between where the vocal is really clear and suddenly the reverb sounds like a separate thing from the vocal right yeah yeah and so, you, so can, you're looking for the balance in the middle again then. it's tough because that can be kind of cool too depending on the depending on the scenario but you don't want it to be right. jarring you in whatever i mean unless that's what you're yeah, going yeah. for I feel like every, everything we say in general is it's not a hard fast rule because yeah, there are ways yeah. where all these other things work. But yeah, I think for the most part, what what you said there is kind of it. Like we're trying to find a spot where there's space for the vocal, and the reverb is clear but doesn't feel like it's separate from the vocal. Instead, it's like they're kind of one thing yet the vocal is still clear. So I guess yeah. that's the balance point. So Brendan, are you in roughly the same numbers? Yeah, yeah, around thirties or forties. Yeah, probably usually forties. You know, it's it's funny, for years and years and years and years and years, I was in like the 15 range, 15 milliseconds of pre-delay. Mm-hmm. And it's because someone just told mm-hmm. me that that was the number to use, so I put it in. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of left it there for the longest time. And then I remember there was one time, and I was sitting in front of like my, my like little studio rig at home, and I was like, wait, why am I using 15? <laughs> like, why, why am I doing this? And it's, it's, it's like someone, had, I think I was using 16 actually, but someone had just told me that a long time ago, so I always did it. So I sat there and I did exactly what you just described, Joe, where I just sat and I tweaked it up and up and up. And then I was like, oh, now it's definitely like, it's like vocal and then reverb. Whoop, let's back it out. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up in a similar spot to what you just said. I think on a low end for me, it'll be around 30. On a high end, it'll be 100. And that's a pretty high end mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because at that point, it almost feels like it's a completely separate thing. But as you said, sometimes that can feel cool. Yeah. Uh, going, going back to something you touched on before about timing it with the song as well, I think that, that might even be more important for pre-delay, I think. I, I feel personally, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and obviously, you know, you're not going to do all the work Necess- you're not necessarily going to have the time to do all the work to like ch- calculate that and change it on every song but if you can you know if you know that your band is operating in this kind of certain range whether it's a mid-tempo band or it's a fast band you can kind of use that to, to gauge and get it in the ballpark that'll you know work nicely for 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 everything you know for all the songs yeah uh you know a, an easy way i found to kind of get some pre-delays figured out specifically for drums is that you know, if you look at a snare waveform, the transient and all that in something, you know, like your DAW or whatnot, you'll see that the transient itself is really only 30, maybe 40 milliseconds. The whole drum sound is what, 150? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously some have longer decay mm-hmm. than that, but you know, the majority of it, right? So if you make your reverb, you know, zero pre-delay, that snare hit itself is going to have kind of chatter if you will of itself kind of on itself mm-hmm. but if you give it 30 milliseconds now you've got a gnarly transient cutting through and then you've got reverb right after it mm-hmm. and as you go past that you will start to hear the transient and then a reverb <laughs> transient right. as well right and that gets really interesting but it, that's a good way i think to play with pre-delay and understand how it's working is something like a snare drum. I think it's the easiest way to understand what a pre-delay is doing. Yeah, with the transient, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brendan, what's the typical way you'd route reverbs? Um, usually, I have them routed 
Uh, from my, I have some aux sends and they go out to, if it's a physical reverb, they go out to that reverb and then they come back on a stereo channel on the desk or it's digital, you know, the same thing though. Um, yeah. and, and pretty much the same in studio stuff yeah. too. You typically do it on a send and return. Typically. It, right? Yes. So you said stereo channel. So is that a mono send? Into a mono reverb that returns stereo? Or are you talking stereo send into a stereo reverb that returns stereo? What, do you ever use mono reverbs? Uh, not if I have the option to use a stereo reverb. I don't find myself using a mono <laughs> reverb, but uh, usually it is a mono set. It, it kind of depends on the console or on the, on, the, on the unit. Sometimes you can do a mono send to a unit and it returns it stereo. So, right. yeah, mm-hmm. you only yeah. need to plug in one cable which is nice you don't have to plug in both mm-hmm. um joe are you kind of in the same boat yeah i mean you know preferred you know mono send to a stereo return kind of unit you know um especially in live sign it's very rare that you're going to put the reverb directly on the channel of the source i don't think any of us you know do that very often Ryan, unless it's for uh, a crazy thing i definitely do that do? actually really yeah <laughs> no shit for, yeah. But, but is it for like an like a crazy effect no, thing no it's not for an effect really no 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 okay. uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about this in a minute yeah, so okay e- even the mono to stereo thing is a little is a little funny for me uh-huh. right so if you do a mono send into a re- into a reverb and return it in stereo yes you get some nice width right but then the reverb emulation itself is assuming that your sound source is in the quote-unquote middle of this room or hall or whatever Mm. and it's returning an even amount of reverb to the left and right side right right? so for things i have centered in my mix i will very often do a mono send return it stereo and that makes total sense but let's say i have I don't know. I'm going to pick a weird instrument here because it's it's nice with reverb. Something like a xylophone. Weird instrument, I know. But, you know, putting a little bit of reverb on it really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So if I have a xylophone, and in my mix it's already panned, I don't know, 30% left. If I put a mono send on it, my reverb return is going to be as if the xylophone is in the middle of the room, returning evenly on both left and right side. If I use a stereo send into it, my send will also be panned to the left. So in the reverb, it's seeing my instrument come in left heavy, and it's returning me reverb as if it is on the left. Mm. So, it, so in the, the reverb I get back, listening to the reverb alone, you can hear that the instrument is off to the mm. left. So then I blend that in with my instrument that is panned to the left. It tends to work for me a little bit better. Now, I'll be honest, I don't do that that often because I don't put reverb on that many things. But I guess let's jump into the mono reverbs. Um, I do use mono reverbs on weird stuff all the time. And, and exactly as Brendan said, I insert reverbs on channels sometimes. Um, and there's two, there's two good examples for when I do that. One, DI acoustic guitar. I think DI acoustic guitar usually sounds terrible. <laughs> and, and inserting a room reverb on it makes it sound like the body of the guitar. Okay. And it makes it sound way closer to actually sticking a microphone in front of it. And at that point, to me, there's no point in doing it on ascend and return, because as far as I'm concerned, it is the sound of the guitar. Right. Process it that way. That makes sense. You process it that way. So yeah. I don't have to waste sends and returns, right? Yeah. So that's one example. The one and probably only other example is background vocals. Very often, I'll insert a reverb on a background vocal, and it'll be a room reverb. And the only intent there is to make it so that they go from being like super upfront 
And it takes it from that to sounding like they're a foot away. It mm-hmm. pushes them back in the sound space a tiny bit. And I, I will insert that reverb because, again, it's like it is part of, as far as I'm concerned, the source. It's not about a send that I'm going to change on different songs. Unless one of those vocalists happens to do a solo, at which point I need to you know, bypass that verb, mm-hmm. and that gets a little complicated. But that's, that, for me, is a choice to make the source have that sound in the source. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah, respect, especially in the acoustic thing. Respect. Yeah, I mean, I know that those are weirder, weirder ways to do it. No, but, no, no, no that, that, that makes sense now. At first, I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" But no. <laughs> <laughs> give it a like, shot. Well, what is this? Shot what is this guy going DI. on about? Like, oh, okay, all right, I, that makes sense. Feel, He's not crazy. Give it a shot in an acoustic day. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll have a good time. With I, it. I will. That's something I struggle with, honestly. So yeah, I me too. I, I had the worst time with it until somehow this idea came up and I mm. started doing it. And the amount of control of tonality you have is insane because the amount of control you have in the various reverbs is is. Serious. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, true. Were you about? To say I was going to say. I feel like we should mention kind of like the difference between working in an analog and digital setting, just like real quickly, because like if you're using yeah. a digital console that allows you to put a bunch of plugins in, you can you have that flexibility, right, to try true, out true mono reverb sends, stereo reverb sends, right. But if you're if you're on tour, <laughs> coming into an analog house, it's yeah. not often where even they might they would have the capability necessarily. They, yeah, they to, might not even have two sends yeah. going into the various yeah. units. Just, yeah, yeah, just a mention, or like, or able to put a reverb on a insert like that, depending on what their cabling is. You know, I don't know. Or right, right. No, 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 no. You're yeah. dead right. You're dead right. I mean, the the typical way of doing this in a kind of legacy manner, if you will, and I don't mean that as an offensive way, is mono send <laughs> to an effects unit that returns stereo. And yeah. that's about it. Right. Um, you know, but this one is, of the we're other We're talking things, about that new-new, though. We're talking about that new-new. <laughs> that new-new tang. Um, one of the other things that I always disliked about the kind of legacy way of doing it is that you couldn't put an EQ on the send on the way into the unit. Mm. And I do that a lot now. Do you guys do that? Mm, not on uh, not not typically I'll do the return typically yeah I usually do the return too or I do it on the effect like it has a high pass in in the effect yeah it feels like a broader stroke to me personally but yeah 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 so I do it in both places Mm -hmm. which is I guess it's typical for me but weird Mm -hmm. because I always do things weird uh, easy example of why would be let's say it's a vocal I might high pass the heck out of it before it goes into the reverb because there might just be a bunch of other bleed from the stage and I just want my reverb to be just vocal mm. so if I pa- high pass the send going into the reverb I end up with cleaner reverb and my return coming back might still have low end in it but it's going to be low end based on only my vocal not based on bleed plus my vocal mm. Mm. So actually, at that point, when I get that reverb return back, I can take a lo- uh, an EQ on the return and bump up the low end mm-hmm. and actually have really clean low end reverb for only my vocal. Mm-hmm. Whereas otherwise, You'd- prior to any time I ever EQ'd my send, if I turned up the low end on a reverb, it would just be super messy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the, the so, whole stage just rumbling in the mic. Exactly. It just makes the whole stage more distant. Mm-hmm. So I know I do it in both places, but not on every sense. So, so talk to me about EQ and returns. Oh, uh, sorry, Brendan, did I interrupt <laughs> no, you? No, I, I was just confused. I was going to say, like, wouldn't it just be the same signal? Like, nope. it's not? Okay. Nope. Right. Because the reverb is generating sound. It is creating new sound. Right. Okay. 
If I send just 1K into a reverb, what's coming back is not 1K. It's 1K plus the whole frequency spectrum. Right. Does that yes. make sense? So if I send a bunch of low end into the reverb, it's taking that low end and making full bandwidth noise with it. And it's going to come back and it's going to be messier. I if I send less low end into it, it will give me a reverb return that is based on only the content I sent in it, which will be clean. That makes content. sense. I think that's why I'm always mm -hmm. reaching for the bass multiply knob, which is on a lot of reverbs, you know, and turning that down. Ah, yeah. got it. Got it. To clean up your stage, yeah. And that bass multiply knob is the bass of the reverb itself, not the bass of the content going into the right. reverb. You might be better off if you high pass on the way into the reverb. Then you wouldn't necessarily need to lose out on some of the goodness from the low end yeah, of the reverb. Yeah, try that you know out I mean? for sure. So, okay, but you guys both EQ your yes. returns. Yeah, yeah. So... Tell me about what you typically do on what types of returns, Joe. Um, uh, a vocal return, I find myself shelving off some of the high end, um, mm -hmm. and and then high passing to get rid of whatever garbage I've sent to it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> are, are, are you now hearing this as shit? I'm, I'm making a mess of it. It makes sense. I mean, you know, yeah. There, there's definitely a balance. You got to like, you know, you got to work that. Um, and then, you know, totally. And then, obviously, depending on the length of the reverb and how problematic the room is or whatever your situation is, like, you might, there might be some degree of ringing out with just the reverb. You know, if your vocal's clean, dry, and then you open up your reverb in front, of, you know, in wherever, and it's, you know, it's starting to go off a little bit, you could you could EQ the reverb return rather than hacking it out of your whole system, potentially, you know? Right. Um, I, I find that, yeah, EQing the system in general, um, you know, is, is maybe better done with effects off until yeah. un, until you're at that point, you know, and, and, and until you've covered all of them, you know, in that way, then, you know, you could take a broader stroke and say, you know, now, now we'll do it on the, on the main thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess we do need to make a point of the room itself is a giant reverb yep. on your whole mix. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, often if you're in a very reverberant room, you end up backing off a lot of your effects because the yep. room has already done it for you. Whereas if you're outdoors, there is no kind of built-in yeah. outdoor reverb, it's so you end up change, bumping yeah. your effects. Yeah, f fest festivals can sound super crazy, especially if it's an inexperienced engineer because, like, yeah, there are there is no room to kind of... Uh, smear everything and, and yeah, yeah yeah you know give it that kind of natural um, juiciness you know um, and it just winds up super dry and if it's over compressed you know it's it's even more apparent because it's just you're hearing cardboardy little pecky snare crap you know and it's like <laughs> you know use those effects to work that you know you know as a total aside I I want to point out that early on in my career I hated outdoor festivals because my mix <laughs> fell apart. And yeah. it's exactly what you're talking yeah. about. It's and now outdoor festivals are by far my favorite. <laughs> I want to do only outdoor festivals with no wind. Oh, God, please give it to me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, so, maybe, right. maybe a post-COVID world will it's involve probably be a you know, lot just more. all outdoor venues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd love it. There's I'd a, love it. That, I'd be into that it. very well may There's be There's a lot of drive-through concerts happening right now. Have you heard about those? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a couple yeah. friends on tour doing these. Yeah. But see, that's interesting too, though, because we've got things like PA as well as FM transmission that are being received by cars. And ultimately, you need to mix them both 
I wouldn't say completely differently, but differently enough that it's going to be complicated to manage everyone both who, of those. Everyone who's time. been totally. testing out their mixes on their car stereos is like really, you know, all that that work is yeah, they're, they're amped. They're ready. <laughs> yeah, amped. The guys who carry NS10s with their SXLs are like, they're they're. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Yeah, is that, is that you? <laughs> Tell me that's you, Ryan. <laughs> I know you got. I know you got a pair of something out there. What do you got? No, I've, no I've got barefoots. Uh, I've got barefoots that are. But with you me. don't carry a set. No, no, I do, I do, but they're like barefoots are probably the closest you, thing I've ever had to carrying PA. That's awesome. <laughs> they, they feel like PA. They've got you so care, much. You low carry the barefoots. Yeah, that's I've got incredible. Like a road case that I can fly them with and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it's very stupid sick. expensive. I know. Uh, uh, to be honest, when it, when it's like Europe and stuff, um, you know, if we're carrying PA, uh, I can get you know L acoustics to provide like PA's or something like that. You know, like the small speakers. Yeah, yeah. And they translate really well to the PA, so you end up with something like that. Yeah. But, you know, if we're reasonably local to here, I will often bring my studio set, basically, and kind of get everything dialed off that. That's so sick. I love it. Um, yeah, it's unreasonable, man. Most people do not need to do something yeah, like that. But like, you're, yeah, but, like, whatever. Just, you know, have fun. <laughs> Shit. If you have it and it's going to make the gig better, as far as I'm concerned, go for it. Yeah. So, Joe, tell me about compression on sends, returns for reverbs. Talk to me about this. Right, right. It's, um, you know... I, again, I'm more of uh, doing this. First, one. I do want to point out this is not a common thing. Not that many people do this. So, no? so I want to be. You don't think so? Well, no, I don't think so. You know what? Not that many people even EQ their reverb returns. What? I would have thought that everybody does it, but not everybody does. I found right. this out over the years. So tell All me right. about this compression. How do you set it up and why? Um, well, first of all, it can kind of add to the illusion of space, you know? Um, reverbs uh, you know in general you know the dynamics going into them are maybe be, are maybe flatter than the dynamics coming out of them so in crushing them in general can kind of um i don't know make them more audible all the time without the need for a longer time hmm. more mm -hmm. or less so you can like you know yeah. you can crush like a one second reverb you know, and it be like audible as audible as it would be, you know, without the compressor as like a three second reverb without having all that tail cl uh, cluttering <laughs> up your mix. Um, the other, the other thing I, you know, I kind of briefly, briefly mentioned on before. So it's, it's kind of like a density control, right? You're totally. using it as a way to kind of just push it up and make it more dense. Cool. Exactly. Without clouding it up, um, mm -hmm. you know, or just making it more extreme in general. Um, and then, you know, the other thing we mentioned earlier is like kind of using that as a pre-delay, you know, um, compressing a reverb return for a vocal reverb um you know and and then and then getting even further complicated maybe maybe you bestowed this technique ryan where you side, I might have. Is this a side, side chain, chain? Oh, yeah. yeah yeah i've been doing that actually since we talked about it and now it's like built in i'll never <laughs> go back but yes <laughs> uh side chaining so tell me tell me the gist of it though so everyone can hear i guess essentially <laughs> you uh sidechain the drive vocal to the key input of the compressor which is on the reverb return did i say that right mm -hmm. and, yeah, what, and, yeah. what, and what that does is it means that the uh compressor then is not reducing based on the level of the reverb the level that the reverb is producing it's only mm -hmm. reducing when the drive vocal is going so it right. it it works perfectly as that pre-delay especially if you get your attack and release set set nice and it just you know you have this blazing reverb and it just it ducks when the vocal's in and it just it sneaks right up as soon as the vocal goes away and it's just gorgeous 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. When we hear a reverb, what we're hearing is the tail. When it's sitting under the real, the actual vocal, it's 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 not really that audible for the most part. And if it is, it's kind of just noise. So what this is doing is it's compressing the reverb when the vocal's singing so that the reverb is ducked. As soon as the vocal stops, you get the tail. Yep. And it kind of, yeah, and it's actually, yeah, exactly as you said. If you get the timing right, you can almost make it feel like you're kind of getting engulfed mm-hmm. in like an ocean. You know, it's like you're falling into it or something. Yeah. It's quite cool. It's, it's, it's one of those tricks that, you know, you get the eyes rolling in the back of your head when it, when it really <laughs> works out. You're just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you want to get stupid geeky, which of course I do, I use a mid-side compressor on it now, and I only compress the mid so that the sides <laughs> themselves are still kind of a little bit sparkly this, this when guy. the vocal's going. This but as guy. soon as the vocal stop, the mid fills out. <laughs> this guy. Hey, man, I, I got a console it. at home, and I just sit and I geek for hours and hours and hours. And as you just said, once it's in there, it's in there. Yeah, and that's how there. I've got and it. You never go back. Yeah, respect, you know? Respect. <laughs> All right, so we got to move. We got to move yeah. past reverbs. We just spent forty minutes talking well, about reverbs or something like that. That was uh, that was um, you know bound to happen when you brought it. Like. When you were like, let's go through the yeah, reverb that, types. I was enough. like, here we go. That's that's that. <laughs> yeah. Rabbit hole. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'll be honest. You know, when I was starting out doing this stuff, I don't think I really knew why to use the different reverb types. I think I just kind of like hit next preset next preset next preset till i found something that worked True. i think it's good to kind of explain a good reason as to why you should be going at any of these and what the goal of each of them really is so i think this is a good i wanted thing to make to an honorable mention yeah. for a reverb on horns especially like a solo sax that's like my favorite moments Ooh, yeah. of shows usually <laughs> it's like when that Ooh. that's my favorite that's my favorite thing about like late 80s early 90s r&b is the m83 sax solo. oh man you know that kind of thing yeah uh, man <laughs> All right, so Brendan, tell me about delays. What What is a delay, and okay. why would you use it? Well, there's a few reasons for why you would use it, but a delay is basically like it duplicates the signal. It combines the signal with like a duplicate signal, and that can repeat multiple times at different timing intervals. So it could be like a quarter note, or it could be based on milliseconds. It could be based on either tempo or on just variable milliseconds of delay and you use it to i mean like reverb it kind of it can create a sense of space depending on how quickly the delay signal happens and it can also just be used for like a hyper realistic effect and yeah a lot of days they're emulating like what people were doing in the beginning of like recording time when they were like using tape delays and stuff like that. So that like kind of set a standard for Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's like delay, like this kind of weird, like doubling effect on the vocal. And then it kind of expanded from there. I I guess that's, that's kind of like a, the basics. Yeah. I mean that, that, that is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's most often in my opinion used as a way to fill empty space. So if you've got, you know, vocals, often people will use delays on that with, you know, half note or something related to the tempo of the song so that that vocal continues mm-hmm. into empty space, right? I mean, I imagine that's how you guys usually yeah. see it used. Most of the time, yeah. 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 Or yeah. it's used to, like, thicken things up. Like, if, if you, a shorter right. delay, a shorter delay just you know, once you get up. below, yeah. what is it, 30 milliseconds for the Haas, the Haas effect, it's, it, it's yeah. almost in, it's... 
you can't tell the difference between the delay and so, the original signal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can't discern it as two separate sources. So why don't you tell me what the Haas effect it's is? It's just that. It's the effect. <laughs> we just said it. <laughs> What's the Haas effect? It's the Haas effect. It's, it's, it's the, the effect that happens when a signal is delayed, but it's not, it's the delay is so short that you can't, yeah, your, your brain, brain only your perceives brain, one. Yeah, you yeah. perceive it as, you perceive one, it as one sound. Yeah, and then the typical use for it is if you wanted to make something sound wide or panned in a direction, you might take a single source, pan it hard left, and a delay of the source, pan hard right. And if you use a delay of, you know, I th yeah, maybe it is 30 milliseconds, but 30 milliseconds or less, your brain still hears it as one source, but kind of coming from one side. And that's just, you know, the basic way your brain works. If you are looking at an object in front of you and it's making sound, both of your ears hear it at the same time. It arrives at your ears at the same time. If the object is far off to your left, the actual distance the sound travels to get to your left ear is shorter than the distance the sound travels to get to your right ear because your right ear is physically farther away. That's how your brain is localizing that that object is off to the left. So the Haas effect is ultimately taking advantage of that and you are adding a delay to one side in order to kind of fool your brain into thinking that the sound is coming from one side. And this works really well with stuff like, um, you know, if you have a really wide stage or something and you've got two guitars and you want to pan them, let's say, hard left and hard right, but if you pan a guitar hard left, the guys on the right side of the audience, guys and girls, won't be able to hear that guitar. It's coming from the PA that's super far away from them. So they need some of it on their side as well. So in this context, you can do something like pan the guitar hard left, pan a delay of it hard right. From the middle, it'll still feel like it's coming from the left because your brain kind of does this automatic thing. And for the people on the right side of the audience, they still hear both guitars. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great technique, and you know, even can be applied with like double miking, mm -hmm. you know, stereo miking. Yeah, a, definitely. A, a the best system tech I ever worked with. He, this guy who worked for LMG, uh, you know, showed me that for the first time. Just like basic channel delay on the mic that's panned to the side opposite the guitar player, and it was just like it just that that rocked my world too. That's a, that's a big it gets one. So wide, so fast, massive yeah, rock awesome. guitars, especially mm -hmm. in a big room. So, you'll just be like, oh shit. So he had two is, mics on it up. on the cab, or he just had one mic and he was like mm -hmm. panning yeah. the delayed version to the two mics. Okay, two mics. You can do cool. either though. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'll say it. I, I find that it works better with two separate mics because the sources mm -hmm. themselves are a tiny, a tiny bit, different, bit different. So the so the center summation feels a little bit better. Mm -hmm. You know, the the problem with using a technique like that is that if you have to sum it down to mono, the guitars are going to sound crazy because you're merging like I don't know a thirty millisecond delayed guitar with a regular guitar. Yeah. You're going to get crazy comb filter. Yeah. So if you know you never have to sum it mm -hmm. to mono use the hell out of it but if you know you do you're gonna just have to yeah. be aware that it's gonna do some yeah. crazy stuff i mean mm -hmm. what other mm -hmm. sources do you guys use delay on um besides this kind of panning trick ryan you want to go or joe yeah well i think joe. yeah oh sorry joe uh, tell me all right sure i was gonna say i think it's more of like what you know because within delays and because there's such a, a range of time difference you know you kind of it's almost like they're all different effects. Like you said, you know, there's like, you can yeah. use it as widening and then you get a little bit further um, in terms of the amount of time between the source and, and, and the return. And, and, you know, you get into this kind of like slappy territory where it sounds right, the like ADT sound. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and then you go a little bit further and then you get into that, like kind of like older rockabilly um, kind of mm -hmm. sound, um, you know, uh, you know, 
if you're if you're doing reggae and someone says give me a dub delay they're asking you for like a <laughs> gah, gah, yeah, gah, either an eighth note or a quarter yeah. note triplet that you know right yep. now just put tri- exactly hit the is. triplet it's either an eighth note or a quarter note triplet and it's and it sounds like tape so just high pass mm-hmm. and low pass it on the return mm-hmm. there you go um you know and then you go further on um and then you have like you know quarter note style delays big vocal um you know spaces you know the vocals in the grand canyon now and you know you're you're physically right. it's a it's literally coming back a quarter note after the original source um and you know play somewhere you will you know yeah if you're doing reggae mm-hmm. dub delay the snare if you're you know a uh, quarter note delay the vocal in the big in the big part um I don't know, rock, rockabilly vocal Elvis or whatever. I know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's a great way to define it, man. Breaking it up into like the different time segments: the short, the middle, the longer, the even longer. Like that. That is a really good way to define it because you're exactly right. It is like many different effects all in one. I said, I, you know, as I mentioned before, I think the most common thing is you throw it on a vocal and you've got something like a half note or quarter note delay, mm-hmm. and the idea is that then you can just make the vocal feel more longer, mm-hmm. feel like it's yeah. filling in this empty space. Mm-hmm. Very often, I'll do that, and then I'll send the delay yeah. return to the reverb oh, so yeah. that I get a mm-hmm. longer reverb on a vocal. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes I don't even route the delay itself, the actual dry delay, to the PA. It'll just be the re- it's just the yeah, dry delay is going well. only to the reverb. Oh, wow. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it's kind of a fun way to like make it seem longer, but not... Like a discrete, also, obvious, yeah, audible also, delay. Yeah, kind you know? of. Yeah, if, if you're over using it, a yeah. digital delay that yeah. sounds like very clean when it comes back, if you route it through the reverb, then it dirties it mm. up, kind of softens it out, you know, takes off the top end. True. I, that that's one specific thing that I will definitely say. I, I I'm big on, especially with vocal uh, delays. No matter what, you know, high pass and low pass. And, yeah. and, ba- yeah. and and kind of like the the more you low pass specifically, kind of like the further away it sounds. You know, definitely, that's kind yeah. of a thing. You know, and and that's that's a that's a good point because reverbs and stuff you can get away with them being bright, but when you have a delay, you see someone say something on stage, and then you hear this voice of something. If it's also dead clear, everybody's yeah. just confused by where it came from. Yeah, yeah. But if but if you on purpose make it sound like a effecty delay yeah, by you know low passing yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. then everyone knows that it's a delay it's just this mental thing we've learned over yeah. decades and decades I guess right? do you guys do any other kind of special routing with delay like that we haven't covered yet I route it the same way we we were talking about guys, reverbs yeah do you guys send ever return. do some like feedback delay where you route the send from the delay return back into the Back out to the delay? You know, no. when I think that makes sense is if you actually are riding yeah. it up and down, yeah. right? So a lot of reggae dudes will do that. They'll ride up the feedback into a delay to just to make sure it kind of mm-hmm. tails itself out and keeps going. Mm-hmm. But I don't do reggae very often. And um, <laughs> subsequently, I can use the feedback control within the delay processor itself because I don't actually need to get yeah. to it quickly. Mm-hmm. But if I did and I wanted to be able to ride it up and down all the time... Yeah. That would make total sense for me. Um, and mono stereo, do you guys have a preference or a use? Uh, you know, um, I would say. No, sorry, Ryan, go, if you were close, if I interrupted. No, no, there. no, go for it. Go um, for it. Go. You know, for effects, for like an effect delay, it's, I don't know, a lot of times it's easier just to have it mono. Um, but if you're, if it, but if it's specifically like a widening tool or you're getting, getting into those shorter delays, um, you know, stereo can can be helpful because then it's not it's further not clouding up that center 
um, dry signal. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. In fact, um, you know, for things like vocals, uh, mono delays, exactly as Joe just said, I find things like ping pong delays where it goes left to right, very jarring in the context of a live show, mm -hmm. especially if they're actually panned hard mm -hmm. left and right, like the delay return. Because it's it's too much to focus on, like this, it's moving too much. It feels yeah, almost gimmicky to me. That's not to say people can't use it. It's just it gets it's just, unrealistic me, it real right. fast, you know. So it has to be the right yeah. time or the right music to like make it work. It, it all depends on how subtle you want it, right? If you put things in the middle and kind of you know trim them so you know high pass and low pass, you can make it subtle. If you're talking ping pong delays where it's hard left, hard right, there's almost no way to make that subtle. It's going to be loud and people are going to notice it and they're going to focus on it. So if your point is to make them focus on your reverb or uh, delay return, then cool, do that. But if your point is to have them focus on something else and that is like the icing on the cake, personally, it's not going to work for me to have it be ping pong left, right. And right. we touched on EQ. I think we're all in agreement that a little bit of high passing and low passing on delay is the way to go most of the time. Yeah, and and you know how I was saying I, I high pass on the send into reverbs. I don't do the same thing on delays because delays to me they don't generate new sound. They're just taking what I've already got and it's you know repeating it. So you know high passing, low passing, EQing the return is fully effective. Whereas reverbs do cool. it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Do you do you use compression on delays as well? Yeah, yeah, same same uh, thing for the you know same. Um, side chain with the yeah, if it's a vocal delay also yeah yeah i yeah, do the same sure. thing too all right so what about modulation what what are the modulation effects and when do you do you ever use them right so yeah so modulation we're we're kind of going the other direction now these are this is the uh pre hoss you know the, inside the hoss effect or before even the hoss effect yeah. um version of of a duplicate signal and it's happening at such a small um, interval that your brain definitely doesn't perceive uh, a second signal um, and when we say modulation too uh, we're we're uh, we're we are modulating <laughs> quite literally the time that uh, the time differential is that correct yeah Okay. Yeah. And yeah, so you're modulating the amount of time that's being that the signal's being delayed. And so that's creating a lot of comb filtering which has a um, audible effect in the form of core kind of sounds like a giant EQ scoop right. being moved around sliding around or boost or whatever it is, you know, and you know the, a shorter interval, you know, you'll experience it as chorus, a little bit longer interval, um, you'll experience it as uh, flange and and the longest, you know, before you get into reverb territory is, you know, uh, is phase. It's a phaser. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they are they are very specific effects. They are very very specific yeah uh you know if if you're going to use them you are probably going to do them like very very on purpose yeah. with the intent of making it sound like a flanger is on right um you know chorusing some people do do that on purpose uh with the intent of making something sound wider i'll do that on vocals sometimes just to make a yeah. vocal sound wider yeah i'll throw that on uh, background vocals, totally like on the if there's like a group of background vocals sometimes i'll throw it on there Absolutely. Now, now, chor chorusing is technically a pitch effect in that the the pitch is kind of modulating up and down. But often, chorusing also has time uh, elements in it, hmm. depending on the chorus unit itself. Whereas flanging is discreetly, it's definitely just time shifting forward and backwards in mm -hmm. order to create this effect. So you know there 
they're all variants of a very similar sound, but they're all just kind of achieved in a different way. So, you know, those kind of things, route them the same way you would, you know, a reverb or delay, you know, use a send to it, return them to a channel, feel free to EQ the send, feel free to EQ the return. But those are very taste specific. They're not as common on your average show. Right. Right? You agree? Right. Yeah, you'll hear them. If you hear them, you know you're hearing it and... Unless it's a subtle chorus, obviously, but uh, you know, and it's for, it's for a reason. Just to uh, get it trippy. Put that man, phaser on, you know? put it on the toms, to, to all over the drums. Blast that on those. Blast fills. that orange. Blast that orange. Yeah, blast that orange phase ninety on the whole mix, man. Woo! Y'all, oh kn- y'all know what band I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes <laughs> I'll just like do my own EQ sweeps, just to add a little interest. To, yeah, pretend I'm phasing oh, like yeah. on a good phaser. electric guitar, like during a <laughs> big part phaser. of the song, just whoosh, just a little like kind of kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I'm having way you too are much having fun. Far and too much fun. A band might be pissed at me <laughs> if they actually could hear it from on stage. I don't know. Right. Well, I think this is um, I think this is a pretty solid yeah. episode in terms of content. Um, we had more to go through, but we're already at an hour. So all right, save it. We'll do it again. We keep just breaking up this front of house thing. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the whole point of, I get, you know, that's like what people are going for. This is the meat here. So why not, you know, draw it out. And you know, the other thing is, nobody, is gives, we nobody, keep nobody cares saying, about monitor guys. Come on. <laughs> we keep saying this is about building a front of house mix, but it's not. This is about building a mix period. It's just that we happen to leave it into the front of house section and not talk <laughs> about it in the monitor section. Right, right. You know what? We can just duplicate these episodes and change the title to Building a Monitor Mix Part 17. Right. Just the exact same stuff, right? The exact same stuff. Copy, paste. Yeah. Every every time you say front of house, we'll just be like, Monders! <laughs> <laughs> I'll just cut and edit them all, man. Yeah. Me just squeaking in the background. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, check us out on livesoundbootcamp.com. Facebook group. Uh, there's a Live Sound Bootcamp Facebook group there. Uh, you can email us at, at feedback at livesoundbootcamp.com. Yes, Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Dang, awesome it's almost new. like I know this stuff. Incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, let us know what's up. We, we've we been kicking around the idea of the, uh, you know, the whole audience question segment. So let us yeah. know what you're thinking. Yeah, we might jump into some Q&A yeah, Maybe episodes. we'll do a It'll live stream yeah. in the future. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Sketchy. I like it. Aiming high. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Appreciate you See guys. You. Take care.